freaking out of. This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. We want to give you our manager. That doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Well, it's been fun bouncing back and forth with football and baseball. Both awfully relevant, despite neither being fully in season right now. The Mariners, obviously, it's spring training. The Seahawks making some big moves and about to start free agency. But Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider, joining us from Peoria. She's been doing uh, for the last few weeks and just giving us a sense of what's going on down there. Good morning, Shannon. How are you? I hear you've got a little extra sunshine in the studio today. Oh yes, oh, feeling good, yeah. feeling so good. You can feel yeah. the glow coming off. <laughs> of how do you feel after? Hair. How do you feel after an off day? Are you just energized? You reinvigorated? What did we get done yesterday? Uh, I had the family down here, so we got nice. done kind of sitting uh, by the pool with them for quite a bit, oh. which was needed. A little rest and a little catch up. We were sitting by the pool. We were wrapped up in our parkas <laughs> and uh, winter hats and gloves and everything else, but it was still a nice time by the pool while we were down. Hey, Shannon, I got to ask you about a player that I think will get a meaningful number of at-bats and be a big-time part of what happens this year that I don't think we have spoken about for one second. What have you seen so far from A.J. Pollock? Yeah, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because he's been just such a quiet presence, and I wouldn't even say a presence. He's been a quiet guy. You know he's there, uh, but you don't really hear much from him. Obviously, he is going to be a big part of the team as they've got him in that left field platoon and able to play you know, elsewhere in D.H. If Jared Kelnick breaks out a little bit, then, you know, there's there's room for enough right now with the D.H. situation. But it's been uh, just kind of interesting watching him go about his business. And he looks, you know, solid, like solid veteran in the game, like the solid veterans behind the scenes. I've been told that he is one of the ones who has been using the traject quite a bit, and he kind of took to that <laughs> right away. And uh, I've seen him a little bit with Jared Kelnick and talking with different players. And, you know, just kind of a, a when we heard coming in that he's going to be a quiet guy. He's not one of the guys that you're coming in to bring one of the vocal leaders, but he is someone that without question, you know, has a ton of experience and it, it brings you know, what they would like in the clubhouse and also that they like at the plate generally if he's able to bounce back. But so far you haven't really seen any hiccups with that. So it's one of those players that's on the list of, yeah, got to sit down, talk to him a little bit more, talk to others about him a little bit more. Very under the radar, as you've said. Who's on the bump today? Logan Gilbert. Logan's back out there today. A little, a little more. I'm not going to even say urgency, but a little more opportunity. I think for Logan, maybe today versus what we saw in person last week for him to get after it. I think so, and I think that if you know Logan, and I think we all do, kind of know him a little bit. That first one's just going to be a feeling out kind of game for him in absolutely everything he's doing. Then you throw in the pitch clock, which was something that he's trying to figure out how to use to his best advantage as well. And I do think it was a little bit of a distraction last week. And then he's adding the pitch. And I I think we talked about this the last time, but his splitter is the one that those around the Mariners organization feel is probably going to be the most significant change. It's going to have the most impact. They'd like to see him use that pitch quite a bit. So I, I think that that is something that he's still getting. And when we talked to him, he said he really didn't have the greatest feel for it. It's still very new to him. It's not like he's been throwing it since November. He only just started to get a good feel for it about a month before he came to spring training. In fact, he was struggling with it to the point 
where Pete Woodworth was called to go down to the baseball ranch where Logan works out in the off season and take a look at it because they were wondering if maybe we should be working on something else <laughs> at this point. And it just so happened when Pete showed up that day, that was the day that it really started to click. And Pete's like, no, no, keep that. And so it's a pitch that he is still getting used to. So, you know, any outing out here, he's going to be Logan scientist and analyst and trying to figure out everything and what he is doing. And I don't think there's really much worry. I think they know his process. And let's also remember that with Logan and with George Kirby in particular, they want them at five innings at the end of spring training. You're not expecting them to go out there. They are going to keep them behind the more veteran starters just to try and take a little bit of that workload off. And they're aware of that as well. They're not trying to push it too much. Why do I imagine the baseball ranch being terrifying? <laughs> like you pull up and there's all sorts of Logan Gilberts doing all those movements. <laughs> I imagine it, when you say that, I, for whatever reason, think of, do you remember the old Nintendo game Castlevania? <laughs> like that sort of, like you have the little whip at the beginning and the ghosts yeah. and stuff would come out. For some uh, reason, that's what dawns yeah, on I'm gonna me I'm going to pull up to that. the ranch. Oh, look at that guy over there. He's He's got the water balloons and he's got the medicine balls and he's got all of these ridiculous movements. Uh, I'm sorry. Is you just had the baseball ranch. I just pictured uh, pictured him out there. Hey, we're not to the dog days of spring training yet, are we? Are we still kind oh, of? Yeah. In the, oh yeah, I we think are? we are. No. <laughs> Shannon's there. Shannon's found her way to the dog days. You, I'm so thankful for the pitch clock. And these aren't four hour games right now, and they could be, particularly with all the WBC stars out. Not just for the Mariners, but the other teams. So other teams are having to kind of fill in, and, and I don't think the games are going to go as quickly. But one of the things that really jumped out at me with the WBC players out is, and I've talked about this over and over, and it's my one concern. My main concern is the, the lack of depth in the infield and not having a Eugenio Suarez over at third base. And if anything happens to him, that's a big question mark on what the Mariners would do. The hope is Tommy LaStella can play over there some, but would you want him there every day? Is he going to uh, kind of be able to, to, to make it back? He did, you know, a bit of good news on him dealing with a shoulder, but he stepped in. I think we talked about this the other day. He stepped in against Andres Munoz. So he's feeling good enough to do that. I would imagine we're going to see him in games pretty soon, but that's going to be an important piece. Hmm. But you know, the first day that, that Eugenio is not over there, you really kind of start to see it's not just, you know, you need Dylan Moore for shortstop and Sam could back up at second base. You really need something at third base too, so that's something to keep an eye on. Hey, Shannon, the the back end of this pen, or the you know sort of the lower leverage relievers, the guys who are going to be last onto this pen, they brought in some new folks, and then Sadler back as well. What what have we seen so far from the Sadler, Topa, Spire, a few other guys? What have we seen from that group yet so far? Well, Sadler, I don't expect to see at the beginning of the season, and I didn't going in. He's been out all along. He's going to need some rehab-type starts before he comes right back up. And he has, I believe, he's only thrown one bullpen, one actual bullpen, and that took place on Monday. That looked like it went fine, but, you know, you're not going to see him in games for some time. He's going to have to build up to throw a live BP and then get into a game. So I, I don't think he's in that mix. Uh, to be in that starting um, in that starting 13 pitching staff, Spire is somebody that they really seem to like. Scott Service would really like to have a lefty in the pen, and I don't know if that happens right off the top or if that happens a little bit later. Uh, he and Topa both have options remaining, so uh, and they like Topa. The word on Topa, he's interesting. He does things differently. They like him 
quite a bit as well. They've both had good showings so far. But I think the thing to keep an eye on is is that because Logan and because Kirby are going to be somewhat limited in what they can do in the first couple of weeks or what they will let them do, I think that there could be a surprise in the pen where you do see somebody who's just more capable of giving some innings rather than somebody who's going to be a little bit more of uh, useful in a leverage situation or a little bit later in a game or somebody that we could see even three weeks into the season. The priority is going to be innings yeah. coming out of spring training. Good stuff. Shannon, thank you. Good to catch up with you. There you go. There's Castlevania. <laughs> nice. There's Logan. There's the working baseball at the ranch. ranch. Welcome. Playing a little Castlevania. Psh, 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 psh. Where pitches Terrifying. are formed and pitches are made. <laughs> And bodies move in ways yeah. that they never should. I don't know why you would say this is the dog days. I, that doesn't make any sense to me at all. All right. Thank you, Shannon. Goodbye. We'll talk to you tomorrow. You got it. All right. Every day we've been doing that with Shannon. Uh, next week we're going to have to move times with her because uh-huh. uh, the time change. and Spring ahead. Right. And they don't do that in Arizona. So she's going to kind of be in with Scott during this 8 o'clock time. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe we'll do it at 9. Maybe we'll find a different time for Shannon. But uh, this has been fun. I've kind of enjoyed just getting a sense of what's going on down there every day, even as uh, as we're not there. So uh, we'll keep doing that with Shannon uh, for the rest of this week at 8 o'clock. All right. Uh, let's see. We're going to give you everything you need to know, including some important sound from Pete Carroll uh, and a fantastic win for the Kraken yesterday. And then after that, uh, SEC Network's Matt Stinchcomb, right? Former tackle guard. Former Georgia Bulldog, Hall of Famer there, College Football Hall of Famer. He was an Oakland Raider, played in the league a long time. Buck, right? He was a Buccaneer as well. Yeah, I kind of remember him as a player. So he's with SEC Network. We're going to get a sense of what's going on with a few of these big-time SEC quarterbacks. So it's going to be a fun hour, a lot going on. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710 and the Seattle Sports app. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, the Geno Smith deal is done. Free agency is essentially here with the bizarrely named legal tampering period. And the Seahawks going to have to start getting real busy now because they need major help in a couple different places. So we talked to Pete Carroll about this yesterday. A few things stand out. Chief among them. Quarterback, very much in play at any draft pick. We, that, uh, that opportunity is absolutely there. We could do whatever we need to do, you know, and, and uh, um, which is a whole nother, you know, discussion of what's really exciting. And, you know, the coaches are working at it and the scouts are working at it to try to position this thing. When there's only, you're at five, this is different than we're used to seeing. You know, this is really fun because you can pretty much predict what what's going to happen with you know four different choices you know so which one is it and and uh so um it's 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 we're alive on all you know and all guns are blazing i just think it's interesting that he himself brought up the number five yeah. pick we just asked if they could draft a quarterback he was like yeah number five is very different like oh okay yep so obviously he's looking at some quarterbacks that he thinks are game changing and that john schneider could feel the same way about the other one that jumps out to me is they're gonna have to figure out what to do with this defense in a draft where there aren't a lot of good defensive tackles there's gonna be some decisions made we gotta get some guys to come to us to help us out got some guys banged up that are coming back let's see how that goes uh, but uh, my intention and focus is on that as, as anything, as much as anything we're doing. And as it should be. It's got to be a priority. Yeah, I think it is easy for us at times as fans to move on, right? We're moving on into hockey season. We're moving on into spring training season. We're going to be moving on into March Madness next week. We move on. They don't. He continues to, to dig, and on a daily basis, they look at their roster, and they're reminded of, remember, 
Remember at the end of the year how uncompetitive they were in their front seven? That when we watch the Seahawks play these teams, you're like, why does it look so different? I said, why, why can't they stop the run? Why can't they tackle? Why can't they do, you know, what the Philadelphia Eagles did to the San Francisco 49ers run game or others were able or at least capable of holding the point? They were not. So there is a lot, to, a lot of work to do in that front seven. Legal tampering begins. There's a lot of veteran linebackers, Salk. Right? You talk about that defensive Tons. tackle list. There's a bunch of veteran linebackers, a lot of them that I really like, especially on a short-term deal. And then you got to find these pieces, man. You've got to be linebackers aren't aren't worth anything if they if the guys in front of them can't true. do anything in front of them. Those linebackers do grow on trees. You can pluck a linebacker right off of a tree in a lot of different places. Find Unfortunately, some defensive not a lot tackle of, bush or something yeah. where you can grab one or two to make this oh. thing work. Here's the second thing you need to know. What a night for the Kraken. They were tremendous, I thought, yesterday. Played one of their best games of the year. Just solid in all three zones and really crushed an Anaheim team. That's not that good, but it's playing a lot better recently. 5-2, your final. Schwartz got the empty netter. Alexiak had a goal. Bjorkstrand had a goal. Sprong had a goal. McCann with his 31st. See if they have enough energy. Veneers knocked away. Larson, trailer. McCann scores! Oh, that's what he does! Twisted wrister. He loves going short side high, and he rips that one into the twine. His 31st of the year. Yeah, cracking him now. One five in a row. That was calling ESPN Plus from John Bouchagras. Uh, they look like a playoff team, and yep. seems pretty well locked Just up. Two it's points not... behind too for first. Oh yeah. Don't look behind. 18 to go. I'm not looking at Calgary. I'm looking up in front. I'm looking at Vegas, right? I'm in looking LA. at the, in LA, the, the two teams that you are right there and largely have been this entire season. Ups and downs, peaks and valleys, losing streaks, winning streaks, and right now on a heater, man. Five-game winning streak. Vegas lost last night, so that hell Kings were off. Calgary did win. Here's the third thing you need to know. We're going to do a little around the NFL uh, in the 9 o'clock hour, but there's a lot going on. Jets officials are in California hanging out with Aaron Rodgers. I'm sure he's uh, being genial and um, accommodating their every whim and need because that's just the kind of player and person he is. Uh, Lamar Jackson is upset because... He's been tagged by the Ravens, and now other players are upset because it seems like nobody else really seems to want him. Is that because of the guaranteed contract? Well, Ryan Clark had some thoughts. And if you believe that all these teams and executives and owners aren't upset with the deal that Deshaun Watson got in Cleveland, then you've absolutely lost your mind. And when Adam says that the team or that Baltimore has an idea of what the market can be, we know the combine is less about those dudes on the field and more about the conversations going on between between traders and between free agents and having those conversations and if you don't think that collusion is a part of this league and the league understands that we don't want to continue giving these guaranteed deals out then you're absolutely out of your mind i don't know i'm torn on this one on one hand i do believe that the nfl probably has some level of owners converse you know conversing mm-hmm. in ways that i don't think are appropriate on the other hand i don't know whether it's proof of collusion that owners see one guy do something dumb and decide that they don't want to do the same thing. That could have happened independently. Yeah, and I think I would also say to my friend there, you're out of your mind if you don't think Cap plays a role in this, his game plays a role in it, his durability plays a role in it, the fact that he's his own agent plays a role in it. All of those things, I think, are a factor in it. I'm not going to totally disregard his opinion, and I think there is some merit to it. I think all of those factors come into play, and... 
Ultimately, while why Lamar Jackson will likely remain in Baltimore, a team that's really been built around his style. And it's just unfortunate for him that more money's not been put in his pocket, yeah. not put in his pocket a year ago. And if he's got to play on the cap and on a one-year guarantee this year, uh, leaves a lot of millions on the table moving ahead as well. All right, there you go. That is everything you need to know. Zags win their conference tournament. They beat St. Mary's they last good, night. By the way. I know, destroyed them. And then uh, M's and Dodgers today at 5 o'clock. Uh, I see a text here saying, come on, Salk, everyone's a playoff team in the NHL. I, you know, I've heard this before. I used to have a, a boss back in the day that used to complain about this, and I would always think it was strange. How many teams make the playoffs in the NBA? Ooh, well, the playing game now, it's like two-thirds. Well, it used to be 16. Yeah. Right well, now, it's even now more it's than 20. that. Okay. The and there's games. 30 teams in the NBA? Yeah. Okay, so that's essentially two-thirds. Yes. There are how many teams in the NHL now? 32. Okay. It's 32nd franchise here. Yep. And 16 teams make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, what? That's half. But only not 14 of 32 make it in the NFL. Okay, well, then it's way, way different. I mean, like, yeah. that is a really odd uh, hill to die on. I've seen people do that before, and I've never fully understood Well, it. hockey's a little different, though, because you can get into playoffs. I know. You know, and, and unlike maybe some of these other sports in seven-game series, wherever. You know how many basketball teams need to make the playoffs? Six. Yeah. They should have six teams in the NBA playoffs, and everybody else should just go home and be in the lottery because you don't have a prayer. You don't have a chance. Mm-hmm. Six, maybe but eight. But you get that goalie standing on his head. One of my favorite things in all of sports. Of you can change a series. He spins, right away. too, oh, when yeah. he's on his head. He does Amazing. like a whole breakdancing routine. I'm told Matt Stinchcomb can do the exact same thing. Uh, former NFL tackle, and he will join us from the SEC Network. What does he think of these two big-time quarterbacks? Levis, Richardson, could either be available at number five, and should the Seahawks pull the trigger? We'll ask him next. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. I believe it's been a full year since Russell Wilson was traded. It was a year ago this morning. I was out sick. I'd been vomiting all morning. And right after our show ended, Russell was traded. Stacy announced it here on the air after Adam Schefter broke the story. I saw my guy Baker Bredman tweeting earlier that uh, he thought at the time that Schefter had been hacked and that somebody had uh, you know put a false report out there. But you know, he probably wasn't the only one. I, there was a lot of doubt that that would actually. We have any go sound down. from that day? Oh, we got a ton. It? I'm oh, going to play it after oh. after this interview. So oh, really? we're going to talk to Matt Stinchcomb here in just a moment. But then I was sort of teasing the fact that we will get into some of the immediate reaction of of what we thought would go down, what we thought that day, and how everything has transpired, and then mm-hmm. Pete's reactions now. A year later to what he's learned and some of the mistakes. So you were were throwing up that day. That morning, yeah. You were throwing up that morning, and that was my uh, day before my first colonoscopy. Yes. So I was. Your first. (laughs) Have you had more since? No. Oh, okay. Hopefully. Just the first of your life. Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't far from the toilet. Yeah. it was. So you and I on both ends of that. Hey, I turned 45 in a month and a half. Okay. Anyhow, let's let's move on. Between us, we were like King Tut. All right. Matt Stinchcomb uh, from the SEC Network uh, joining us right now. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm good. I'm uh, I'm a little concerned for for both of y'all. I hope you're hydrating. Yeah. Well, this was a year ago. We're doing better now. Toileting. Obviously. Hey. uh, So help help us with some of these SEC quarterbacks because and and there's some other SEC guys for us to talk about. But the Seahawks have this number five pick. Pete, pretty clear that their deal with Geno Smith yesterday will not preclude them from drafting a quarterback, and even brought up the number five pick. 
Uh, let's assume that at that point they don't have a shot at either Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, but that Richardson and Levis are both in play. If you were the Seahawks, would you take one of those two guys with the number five pick? No. Nope. I wouldn't take either one of those guys. I, I will say that you know coming into the season, um, a lot of the, the the scouts, you know, you hear this a lot. It's these these scouts, these nameless, faceless scouts. I know a lot of them played with a lot of them. They're great guys. But you never seem to get a name with the scouts uh, at the beginning of the season, even at the end of the season. Did you hear about all these pro scouts and how high they were on these guys? And, and even at one point when people were talking about Richardson being like a top five pick. And uh, you know the guys that cover the conference down here, guys that um, do games, and um, you know we've seen some football, played with some good quarterbacks, um, and we're going, seriously? Really? Because at some point in time, you know, the actual performance beyond the, the measurables and even the intangibles, you think, don't you eventually have to, to put out some, some good-looking film, more than just a couple of good throws a game, if that? So I would say no on, on both of those. And I know that uh, I think the what is the, the comp, uh, the, the justifier, if you will, that people burp out? It's the Josh Allen-type numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, not an overly competitive league, you know, didn't complete a ton of passes, you know, wasn't an efficient thrower and look at him now. And you're going, yep. Now name me a couple of others. Give me, give me a couple others that are kind of like that. Gives you pause. Definitely gives you pause. You know, the Levis kid and Anthony Richardson to a, a lesser extent, well, maybe even a greater extent, really, because he dealt with an entire coaching staff overhaul. You know, they didn't get the consistency year over year at play caller. I get that. Um, I get that uh, at receiver, um, it wasn't easy for them, especially uh, with the uh, exit of Wondell Robinson, a really good football player at, at the collegiate level, especially, and, and prospectively will be at the pro level. Um, that changes things. You know, who are you throwing to? Uh, what are you working with? Are you comfortable in the system? All those things. But that said, the number five pick. That's a that's a big swing, and in both of those guys, I think it's it would be uh, speculative at best, uh, risky, uh, probably at worst, maybe even wrongheaded. You know, it's it is fun, Matt Stitchcomb here with us to get in the building. I mean, that's one of the advantages of doing the job as as an analyst. And Matt, you do it down there at the SEC Network. You've seen these guys. I know back to back weeks you had Anthony Richardson. But it's one of the things that I've always loved in my 14 years of being on the road. And you and I will text on the road and talk about different circumstances and situations because, well, the locker room doesn't lie. And many times that football office doesn't lie. You get a much better vibe and a much better feel than maybe sometimes even that tape totally shows. So when you were in the building a couple times, uh, and, and I don't know if both of Anthony's games were at home or on the road or, 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 or maybe one of each. But when you were in the building, did you get the sense, yep, this is a franchise QB. Yep, this is one at the NFL level you build around. Yep, this is one that this entire building and everybody believes because he elevates everybody around him. No. But that's not to say that there was any detraction. Um, And so I preface it with, and you're exactly right, um, it is different, you know, when you're kind of boots on the ground. So we had a home game, we had an away game, and the coaching staff, they, they spoke glowingly of Anthony Richardson. Um, but just to imply, I did not get even the impression, even remotely, that you know, this guy's anywhere close to a finished product. Now, the hard part now, and maybe always, is 
you know, so you're walking a tightrope if you're inside those buildings, right? If you're the coaches, you don't want to badmouth your guy, and you definitely want them to go high because it elevates the profile of your program. But then you also kind of want him to stay, right? If he's got another year of eligibility, which he, of course, did. Um, and so, you know, there's a, definitely a conflict of, of interest, uh, even internally, for the folks in those buildings where you're like, hmm, yeah, y'all are in kind of a tough spot, right? You don't want to talk him up too much. You mess around and, and overstate things, and doggone if he doesn't leave. But, you know, if you, if you speak even and hint at disparagingly, and then maybe that hurts his draft status, and now you don't have another face and number to slap up on the wall and say, hey, look at our number one picks and, and all the things, you know, career earnings uh, for recruiting purposes. I like Billy Napier a lot. Um, he's been around some really good football players. He liked Anthony Richardson uh, quite a bit. He also uh, made it clear to us that there's work to be done. And it didn't seem disingenuous in any way um, uh, to say, you know, maybe we could carry the mail for him, which we, of course, wouldn't have, to get him to come back. It, it did seem authentic. And, and let's be real, guys. The guy had, what, four or five games of less than 50% completion percentage? I mean, there, there aren't many games in his career where you're going, wow, as a passer, this guy looked really good. What was the best game? Maybe the Vanderbilt game and a loss to Vanderbilt. Hmm. This is really a Florida team that probably should have finished the year with four wins. Quarterbacks get too much of the credit and too much of the blame. So, but they probably should have finished with four. So, so, so it's just, you got to go, I don't know, what do you get? So let me, first of all, definitely we're talking to an SEC guy when you drop a dog on. That, oh, that's doggone. a, now we know that we've gone doggone SEC shame. heavy. He less than 50% have his game down there, boy. <laughs> all right. And we're going to be better than that. Well, there's no reason to imitate the poor guy. That's just not very nice. But, um. Oh, that's a terrible impression. I know. Brock's not good at impressions That wasn't Matt Stinchcomb. That was a Southerner down there. You know, down there on the bayou down there. I mean, you can't <laughs> complete 50% of boys. your passes. You can't play in the SEC. You know what I'm saying? Well, I, see, now you're veering in. That's very ACC of you. It's very Bobby about what you're doing right, right. And, and he's more of a daggum he's not much of a doggone oh no, i didn't mm-hmm. i guess i didn't even think about the difference that well, shows then just how, distinctions, guys. how northern i am and then he got programs down there <laughs> all right and programs, programs. Well, let me go. programs they're all programs <laughs> what about the tennessee program and the guy who was leading that program last year another sec quarterback that you may have had some eyes on that's hendon hooker and he's probably not a, a possibility at number five, maybe at number 20, but he's a name we've heard connected as a, as a second round pick. Does he have any of that it factor that would make you say, hey, with a second round pick for a team that has two of them, maybe he could take the reins over a year or two and eventually become a franchise NFL quarterback? Yeah, maybe. You know, that, that guy definitely has a better track record. He's got a more extensive career, uh, two different programs. Although one was an ACC program, so I don't even know if that if they're even analogous one to the other. But the the does have uh, at least a, a winning uh, pedigree that extends beyond that, and they did lean heavily uh, on Hendon Hooker, especially after the snap. Uh, a lot of people talk about how simple that offense is because they'll have a, a live side and a dead side to the formation. You know, the, similar to the the Baylor offenses uh, from you know earlier in the. Uh, in the decade, but to me, um, the leadership capacity that he has, uh, and certainly uh, the the tangible elements of it, um, is a mobile quarterback. Is not an every down type runner. Didn't rely on his legs, but could use them. Um, and 
demonstrated, especially in the early part of the season, uh, a, a remarkable deep ball. Um, so to me, this is a guy that you could at least point to. Does he have as much upside? You know, maybe not. You know, he, he's not whatever Anthony Richardson is. What he's Richardson's like a defensive end. Yep. You know, he's it's, it's Cam Newtony kind of guy where you're going. There's just not a lot of guys running around that look like that. Hendon Hooker doesn't have that same stature. That said, look at his games and look at his production mm-hmm. and look at the role that he had to play in his offenses and how much of it was actually within the system, regardless of how sophisticated that system is or is not, to the NFL versus snap the ball, one read, I'm not going to say panic, but I will say flush, extend with your legs, and then just be better than everybody else on the field. Good job. You know, second down. That wasn't Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker was, I'm going to operate within this system. If it doesn't work, if I can fix this play call with my athleticism, sure. Um, but I think he's he's definitely a reach at five. The only thing that you could justify those Richardson-type conversations is because you're going, man, ton of runway in front yeah. of this guy. Hooker wouldn't have that same comment, yeah. but there's no question coming out of college. Who's the more impressive of the two quarterbacks? I don't even think that's a conversation. Uh, do you ever get called Matthew, or are you always just Matt? Uh, nobody even, you know, everybody just calls me Stench. Which Stench, is, okay. You know, it comes with his own baggage. Yeah, I love that. So, Stench, <laughs> final, uh, final question here. <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. Not easy to do, but you're really good at being a nimble left tackle, blocking any question your way. Jalen mm. Carter, Jalen Carter in six weeks gets drafted where? Round and round and pick. I'd take him one. Would you really? I'd take him one. Or really? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, you, you look at is the guy. Is this your Georgia Bulldog? Oh, is this people should know, where did you go to college? Yeah, is this your Bulldog coming out? Oh, uh, that's cute. Don't be lazy, guys. Don't be lazy. So so if you watch this guy play, which I assume that you all have, uh, th- there's not a talent that we've seen. Now, I will say that the, the caveat I put on it is, and this is not a Todd McShay-type comment, which to date remains un- unsubstantiated, is – the effort level at times, he almost looked disinterested. You wonder, is that because you are just head and shoulders better than everybody else on the field? Is that what it is? And so you can flip a switch and in college, you could probably get away with that. Very few could get away with it on Sundays, maybe, but otherwise when he wanted to play, I'm hard pressed to think of a more dominant player at his position. People say like Sue, uh, maybe I think Carter is a superior athlete to Sue. He might be not as powerful, but he's a superior athlete, especially on third downs. You can play him all the way from edge to edge. You could play him on the edge if you wanted to, and he did, and wouldn't be conceding a whole lot. I mean, is is he a speed rusher? No, no, he's not. But you know, face a Sean Payton type offense, speed rushers aren't going to get home anyway. Pocket's too shallow. So he's just, he's a guy that can win inside out. And if you can get a guy that can win inside out consistently, that changes things, especially mm-hmm. on money downs, the passing mm-hmm. downs. And to me, Jalen Carter is that guy. I, I don't know of another guy that looks like that. 
Wow. All right. Well, this is this is certainly opening my eyes in uh, some different ways. So uh, very, very interesting stuff. That's what Matt does. From Stinch. I appreciate uh-huh. that. And uh, thank you for helping with some of the translation. I know Brock tried to drag you into more of a Bayou kind of conversation. <laughs> Do you know what Ed Orgeron's saying here? And I'm glad you ought to have that Ralph Salafush who wouldn't have ever got past number one. Anyway. <laughs> Do you understand that? Do you speak Orgeron? You know, if you gave me a few minutes to just step out and slam my head in the car door a couple of times, I think that there's a chance I could figure out what he said. I did decipher a number one right there, I think, there towards the end. I'll let you know, Brandon Stokely came on this air and immediately knew exactly what Orgeron was saying there. So, I, you know. (laughs) Can I challenge you on that? Because if nobody knows, did, did, did Coach Orgeron? that he got it right because he's the only one that knows what he said. <laughs> it's kind of like the lyrics right. to Yellow Ledbetter. Right. I mean, it's kind of the same. John Embry, another, another great young man from Destrahan, Louisiana. Hold on a second. Right. Hey, guys! Hey! I'm having a press conference. Never, never gets old. That's Stitch. an all-timer. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks for the insight and uh, great, great stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matt. Doggone it, guys. Thanks. Doggone, daggum, <laughs> however it goes. We appreciate it. And uh, all right, well, that's some very different different view on the world. Mm-hmm. He says about both Will Levis and Anthony Richardson pass. I just wish he was more definitive. Right. If only he had more of a hot more of a more of a you know <laughs> an opinion. strong yeah. opinion. I'm gonna on, use some of those lines on you guys. Oh uh, that's cute. Don't yeah. be lazy. Don't be lazy. <laughs> Uh, he, he is genuinely. I'm no Matt. We're I think the same draft class. Wow. He is genuinely the most nimble, wittiest, brightest lineman mm. I've ever been around. Wow! And there are some linemen that are going to be super bad. Uh, Robbie Tobek is right up on that I list. I was going to say, There's you can say that with Tobek, Aaron Dalen, Tony Coates, collegiately. But but he we're going to send is... that audio to Olin Krutz and just see how he feels no, about that, you saying I'll that. stand by that. You'll start having be to lazy. run away from him again. Don't be lazy. Yeah. No, I'll stand by that one. Wow! But he is a brilliant guy. Uh, owns owns some companies down there in the south. Done an awesome job. Is yeah, and he has. A very firm opinion there. He was an offense tackle in this league. He knows both the collegiate level and the NFL level. And you hear him clear as day seeing this guy, being around the building, watching tape, being on the practice field, that he just can't hit the broad side of the barn half the game. Does that convince you that if Jalen Carter is there at number five, you should take him? It was a heck of a it was a heck of a advertisement for Jalen Carter. Can you do that? Here's the here's also the challenge, and I've seen some of this on the social media realms and some of the folks on Seahawks Twitter well, saying because that, of Malik. Yeah, you can't do it because of the risk you've already ah, taken at the D line, and you can't you know you can't go no, that way. If you if you do each person's individual. If you've if you've done your research and he's the right guy, you do it. Does he and if he's not, then you don't. That that promo that we're playing of the John Schneider show, right with Dave and Bob, a great one. And you hear John Schneider say, hey, man, we dig into this, man. Do you love the game? Do you want to be a champion? Those things and, and those measurements, not, you know, and, and yeah, Tom McShay and others came out against Jalen Carter in the playoffs. And he didn't always play hard. I'm, no, no, no. I'm not even talking about your engine. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about just your inward desire to beat. And Dominican Sue wanted to be one of the most dominant defensive linemen in the history of the league. And he came in and did a pretty darn good job of it before Aaron Donald said, hey, Dominican, my turn now. Right? Do you want to do that? Because if you don't, we can't take you at five. If, if that is even a question, right? Uh, if, if we've got to pause for a second, if we've got debate in the room, it's kind of got like instant replay. You know, this has got to be indisputable. None of us have any doubt when you're taking that kind of property on Park Avenue with that kind of value, you can't sit in that room and go, 
Yeah, but uh, now Malik McDowell in the 30s and after trading down, well, you can trading do it down, at that point. You can take that because you're not really hurt by it. I don't know. There was an interesting argument for Jalen Carter at five, do what you do at 20, and then Hendon Hooker in the 30s. It was a very, oh, yeah. I mean, that that is not an unheard of draft possibility yep. for the Seahawks. And, at and 20, I promise you, there's nobody you could take. There's a bunch of DNs at, at 20. Is it Miles Murphy who could be available and some other guys? So, yeah, I, I that was, that's an interesting view on what you could do to, 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 to deal with this draft. Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, you take those guys at five, they walk in, rookie minicam, you go, holy smokes, are they just different. Right. But aside from those two at that position, there's no other human in this draft that you would take that would walk out. And I don't know if he could wear 88 with the Seahawks or not, but he would walk out in the field and you would go, oh, my gosh, mm. this is what we need. This is this is what others have. This is what we've not had. Right. I mean, he's that guy. Yeah. But then there's the other side of that coin of just do you want to be because his his production isn't dominant. No, I look at his numbers. And the other guys could potentially be really great. I mean, you you may be getting somebody that has otherworldly talent. It just hasn't been developed yet. So, uh, yeah, this conversation is not going anywhere, and we'll come back to it a little bit tomorrow. Yes, it was uh, a full year ago today that Russell Wilson was dealt. Stacy Ross was here right on after us, or uh, right on after us, and or after me, and uh, and she broke the news. Breaking news this via ESPN's Adam Schefter. After weeks of negotiations in one of the largest trades in NFL history, the Seattle Seahawks and Denver Broncos have agreed to terms for a deal involving Super Bowl winning quarterback Russell. Russell Wilson. Okay, so that was Whoa. the news. I'm still getting a little tingly really? on that. Yeah. I just had a little, oh, little electricity went through me right there. That's one year ago today. One year ago today. Do you wow. want to hear some of the conversation from that time? And sure. then I'll, I'll get to what Pete has learned since then. But here, uh, here's you and I discussing. Who's their next quarterback? Don't tell me it's Drew Locke. I'm going to tell you right no, now. No, you're not. What is today? March Today's March today 8th. 9th. March 9th. <laughs> March 8th will land in frozen and infamy forever. <laughs> on March 9th, I'm going to tell you, on March 9th, it's your luck. No, it's not. It's not Jacob Eason. It's who's on the only Stop other quarterback it. on the roster. Stop it. See? Yep. It wasn't your luck. It was close. I mean, we didn't yeah, mention Geno Smith, but yeah, it wasn't Drew Locke. Yeah, I mean, let's be clear. You, you guys had a conversation loving on Marcus Mariota there a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, I mean, it could have been Marcus Mariota. Mm-hmm. ended up being Geno Smith. If Drew didn't have COVID, that's, that's totally <laughs> right. Probably would have been it done. exactly how it would have gone. Uh, here's a little bit more reaction. Pete's the frog. Russ is the scorpion. Pete I said, jump on my back, and we're going to ride this thing out together. He chose Russ over all the other guys. And when it was all said and done, Russ stung him. Mm. Now, hopefully they don't end up both drowning at the bottom of the river together. Hopefully Pete's got a plan. Hopefully this is the life raft before he can actually drown. And this is why they dealt him today. But the why of this has been building forever. Wow. Well done. Good and faithful radio host. Good job. <laughs> that was really good. Well, we went through the story of the frog and scorpion crossing the yep. crossing the river together and why the scorpion stings the frog even though they both die. And the reason is because he's a scorpion. And and I do think a lot of that is true. And we heard some of that from Pete yesterday, right? Saying that there were some decisions made and things he would have done differently. Yeah, there's there's some stuff. I'm, I don't think I need to account for it all. But there's there's uh, there's stuff along the way that we, you know, we might have tried to follow the essence and the facts of what was going on more than kind of the hype you know we get caught up in some of the hype of it all and that we could have done that a little bit better i think and and everybody would have prospered everybody would have prospered but all in all you know we had a great run yep 
It's hard, man. Hard. I put those two things together a little bit. Oh, for sure. And, and you know, juggling lots of the relationships. Richard's not easy. We had personal experience with that right here on the show with poor KJ sitting in this seat like, <laughs> did he feel like the scorpion or the frog? I think at that moment he was felt like, oh, my gosh, this guy just stung me. Mm-hmm. Thought he was my friend. He coming on my on this show and doing that. like Richard was not easy. Marshawn was not easy. Earl was not easy. Doug was not always easy. Russell, definitely, definitely brutally hard and especially near the end. So he had to juggle all of those relationships. And were there things you could have done differently? I'm always a, a believer. We, he talked about parenting, and, and I mean, maybe we all parent a little bit differently, but there's got to be some rule ones. And when you rule one, you know, hurt the family. And in this case, that's the, supposedly rule one on the wall, right, about hurting the team. Mm-hmm. Richard would hurt the team. Russell's decisions, obviously, behind the scenes, more of them come out, hurt the team. And would they have done some things differently? Yeah, of course they would. But did they also win a lot of games and go to the playoffs? Of course they did. But could they they have done better if they'd handled it differently? I want to go back and and play you one big thing that Pete Carroll says he's learned since then. And I think it may be a pretty decent clue into how they plan to handle their business into the future. We'll do it next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com.